Hi everyone and welcome back to the Learning to Sit Still podcast. I hope you are having a wonderful day and that the new year is off to a wonderful start. If you are new to the podcast, I want to welcome you as well as say thank you for taking a few moments out of your day to spend here. If you enjoyed today's episode, would you take a quick second to hit that subscribe button? And if you have a minute, would you leave a review? It really helps bring this podcast up in search results, plus might assist someone in deciding whether they want to listen to it or not. I would greatly appreciate if you did either or both of these things. I do want to thank each of you who do listen, and if you ever have a suggestion for a topic or discussion, I would love to hear about it. You can email me at learningtositstill at gmail.com. All right, let's dive into our topic, which is back in our series on the Daughters of Eve. You remember that? I know it's been several months since we talked about a woman in the Bible as our main subject, and I hope you have enjoyed the women we have mentioned so far. I know that for myself, I'm always amazed at how similar our struggles still resemble these women who lived so long ago, even though our cultures have shifted dramatically and some would even say advanced, we still at our core are exactly the same as the day God created Eve in the Garden of Eden. This is why I believe it's important to study these women, to delve into their character, understand their story, and glean all we can from them for our lives today to learn from their mistakes and incorporate the things they did right. The woman I want to talk about today made a simple decision, a response really that would alter her future forever. She did nothing wrong. She was just doing what anyone else would have done in the same circumstances, but she was unaware that someone else had set something in motion that could not be undone. The entire episode has been the center of many discussions by pastors for many, many years with differing opinions for sure. We never learn her name, only that she is the daughter of Jephthah, the man who made a vow to the Lord. While she is first mentioned in Judges 11.34, her story begins with her father in the beginning of the chapter. His introduction is found in verse 1. Now Jephthah the Gileadite was a mighty man of valor, and he was the son of an harlot. And Gilead begat Jephthah. This tells us two things about him. He was a mighty man of valor, meaning he was a man's man. He was no wimp. He possessed a great amount of courage. This verse also says that he was the son of a harlot. This implies that he was probably not accepted by anyone. Even though his father may or may not have accepted him, when his half-brothers grew, they wanted nothing to do with him and forced him to leave. So Jephthah made his own way in the world. He lived in the land of Tob and managed to gather a small band of men. What they did, well, we don't really know. But like many classic stories, those who turned their backs on him, ignoring his very existence, came face to face with some serious trouble that they could not handle on their own. So they go running to the person that has the courage they lack and experience they need. The, the one they cast aside was the one they now look to as a military leader. Of course, as you might have guessed, Jephthah did bring up the past, making a point to mention that these brethren of his had wanted nothing to do with him. In fact, he says that they hated him, but now they wanted him to be their captain as they were all the best of friends. Now, as Gomer Pyle would say, people sure are odd. His brethren are in desperate times, so... They swallow their pride and even agree to make him their head. After the treatment he had received in the past, it's understandable that he is a bit hesitant to believe them, but after they affirm their statement before the Lord, Jephthah agrees to help them. 
this need for a guaranteed reward is interesting and it makes you wonder if this was one of the main driving forces behind Jephthah, a man who was driven from his people, forced to forge his own way without the support of family. He really had no grounding. Maybe he didn't want to be used. So he bartered for a position of leadership, or maybe he was desperate to be recognized as someone important, to make his family acknowledge him. We can't know for sure, but this could be what played a part in the tragedy that was shortly to take place. As he prepares to do battle, he makes a vow before the Lord, which we read in verses 30 and 31. And Jephthah vowed a vow unto the Lord and said, If thou shalt without fail deliver the children of Ammon into mine hands, then it shall be that whatsoever cometh forth out of the doors of my house to meet me when I return in peace from the children of Ammon shall surely be the Lord's and I will offer it up for a burnt offering. We read these words of a man who seems to be willing to do almost anything to guarantee a victory. He asked the Lord without fail, deliver the children of Ammon into his hands. He is craving a victory, a need to win that may be fed again by his desire to be accepted by those who cast him aside as nothing. Whatever the reason, Jephthah has made a vow that cannot be broken. One many say was done in haste. Did he think it through? Would it have been better to be specific in what he offered instead of whatever comes out? While many say that the animals may have moved freely in and out of people's homes back then, there had to be at least the thought that a person might be the first thing to come out. But as the old saying goes, act in haste, repent in leisure. It was a vow made in haste that would yield heart-wrenching consequences. Jephthah was granted the victory he desired, a without-fail victory delivered to him by the hand of the Lord, and it was a great victory. The children of Ammon were completely subdued. Now Jephthah makes his way home, feeling pretty good about his victory, but his triumph quickly turns to tragedy as his eyes watch the first thing that emerges from the doors of his house, his daughter, his only daughter. She had come to meet him to celebrate his great victory with song and dance. The Bible emphasizes that this was his only child. He didn't have any other sons or daughters, just her. We read his agony in verse 35. And it came to pass when he saw her that he rent his clothes and said, Alas, my daughter, thou hast brought me very low, and thou art one of them that trouble me, for I have opened my mouth unto the Lord, and I cannot go back. He was devastated. His hasty words would now cost him everything. There was no undoing it or going back. For this, Jephthah must be commended, for he was a man of honor, a man of his word. And it seems that he had instilled this in his daughter as we read her response to her entire future in verse 36. And she said to him, My father, if thou hast opened thy mouth unto the Lord, do to me according to that which hath proceeded out of thy mouth. For as much as the Lord hath taken vengeance for thee of thine enemies, even of the children of Ammon. I would like to take a quick moment to point out something that I came across as I was reading more about this subject. I found an article that mentioned his daughter as a spoiled child. I thought this was very interesting. Um, of course, it is possible that Jephthah made this vow in his hometown of Mizpah, and it might have been public, meaning that she would have heard it. Another said that while it may have been made in a more private setting, she still might have gotten word of her father's vow. In either scenario, she could have been careful and waited until her father came inside their home. 
versus being the first to rush outside to greet him. Both are interesting points and give us something to ponder, but neither change her fate. Again, I don't know. She just, as women, it was a culture for women to come out and greet the men in triumph. But again, both she and her father were accepting of the consequences no matter how they got there. Of course, the big question is, what happens to her? Did her father sacrifice her as a burnt offering? Now I'm going to say right here that I'm not sure. I am only going to give a little of my own thoughts mixed with some of the things that I have read and I've heard pastors say. So first, let's read the remaining verses in Judges 11. And she said unto her father, let this thing be done for me. Let me alone two months that I may go up and down upon the mountains and bewail my virginity, I and my fellows. And he said, go. And he sent her away for two months, and she went with her companions and bewailed her virginity upon the mountains. And it came to pass at the end of two months that she returned unto her father, who did with her according to his vow, which he had vowed, and she knew no man. And it was a custom in Israel that the daughters of Israel went yearly to lament the daughter of Jephthah the Gileadite four days in a year. Now for myself personally, I don't believe he killed her. The text never specifies it, and God was against human sacrifice, and God never contradicts himself. When he told Abraham to sacrifice his son Isaac, the angel intervened before Abraham could fulfill it, so I don't think she was killed as a burnt offering. However, it seems that she was never to marry, which was almost as hard as her life being lost. The continuing of the family was everything. And while his family name would not have lived on specifically as she was married, he would, you know, that name would have been lost in some ways, but his legacy would have. He would have had the chance to have grandchildren that carried a part of him. This was lost, a tragic loss for both father and daughter. She would never be a wife and a mother. His daughter may have been dedicated to serving the Lord in the temple, perhaps like Samuel, or I also think of Anna in the New Testament who served the Lord in the temple daily. It is worth pointing out that the text does emphasize her grief over her virginity, not a lost life. She asks her father to give her two months to bewail her virginity. Her friends go with her and mourn, and when she comes back to her father, he fulfills the vow with the added statement right after it, she knew no man. Both of these statements lean to the fact that she would never marry instead of offered as a human sacrifice. Now, I really would like to encourage you to do your own research on these verses, but for today, I want to make a few simple closing applications. First, be careful of the vows you make. In Deuteronomy 23, verses 21 through 23, we read what God thinks about vows. When thou shalt vow a vow unto the Lord thy God, thou shalt not slack to pay it, for the Lord thy God will surely require it of thee, and it would be a sin in thee. But if thou shalt forbear to vow, it shall be no sin in thee. That which is gone out of thy lips, thou shalt keep and perform, even a freewill offering according as thou hast vowed unto the Lord thy God, which thou hast promised with thy mouth. To make a vow is a serious thing. That's why Jephthah said he could not go back on it. He understood the gravity of his words. Notice that God tells us it is not a sin not to vow. But when we do make one, it is a sin not to keep it. Second, be careful of the reason why you make a vow. A vow should never be flippantly made, nor should it be to simply get what you want, like a barter or manipulation tool. Jephthah made a vow to God for a victory. But was it because, again, he wanted it for his people? Did he believe he could manipulate God? Was he willing to sacrifice anything to gain a victory in order to prove himself to his half-brothers? Was it a little bit of everything? 
I can't help but wonder, Jephthah was an outcast. No one ever stood up for him, not even his own father. When his half-brothers raised a fuss and threw him out, there was no one who said it was wrong or that they should may not have treated him that way. He was simply tossed aside, left to make it out by himself. Maybe he felt that if he could guarantee a win, he would finally be accepted. So he bargained with God. Remember how he phrased it to God? If thou shalt without fail. That is a very specific request. God is not to be manipulated. And we should never behave as if we can offer him something in exchange for a specific service or deed. And third, remember that your choices often affect others. Jephthah's decision to make a hasty and in many ways foolish vow cost not only him but his daughter. All her dreams of becoming a wife and a mother, of having her father's grandchildren were gone in an instant. Whenever we make decisions, especially ones in a, on a larger scale, we should weigh out our options, count the cost, and seek wisdom. In the story of Jephthah and his daughter, it's not an easy one to read. It has no happy ending. In reality, it ends in tragedy, yet there are lessons still found within these verses. Decisions made in haste or even based on emotions rarely turn out well. We are told over and over again to be wise and to seek counsel. Surround yourself with good friends, people you can trust, people you can go to when you have a question or pressing matters. Above all, seek the Lord, walk in his ways and ask for his wisdom. The best way is to spend time in the word of God daily. The more you do, the more he will reveal to you. And that is all for today. I pray you have an amazing week. Remember, the world is a noisy place, so be intentional about your quiet time. Make it a priority to get alone with the Lord apart from the distractions so you can be still and hear his voice. Mm -hmm.